All right, so one of the major issues that, uh, news events that has happened in the past, uh, oh, I don't know, 70 years, is this recognition by the United States through the Trump administration that, wait for it, wait for it, <clears throat> Jerusalem is indeed the capital of Israel. Okay, so what I love about this particular news story is, A, the bravery that, that it took for the Trump administration and Trump himself to go against all the wishes of even the Republican establishment, against, of course, the dictates of the media and certainly the Democratic Party, and say, I don't care, it's the right thing to do, for one thing. Um, and the amazing thing about it, that it, one of the amazing parts of the story, Ari, is that, that, it is an, that, that it is a historical event. That's what throws me off. Like, it's such a no-brainer that you move the embassy, and, and for that matter, you recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Why? Because Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. That's the capital that, is, that Israel has designated ever since it was, uh, it was born as a nation. And, every, and it, of course, it was a, a, the, the actual capital of Israel in biblical times. So, of course, it's going to be the capital of Israel. So the fact that our recognition of it is itself as a story and considered a moment of great bravery is itself a, a, bizarre, uh, a bizarre story in and of itself. But he did the right thing. And I'm, I'm so pleased about it. Now, what was the response to this? Well, you don't want to get them angry, right? The Arab streets might uh, riot and do bad things. We, we want to kind of watch out for that. Uh, okay, so there's so many things to say about that. First of all, vis-a-vis -vis Israel. When Truman recognized Israel in the very beginning, when Israel declared independence. We were there, I think, within five minutes recognizing Israel's existence. So that was cool. That was a great thing about Harry Truman. He was, he was very good about Israel. I think that, that Harry Truman is actually on the coinage of Israel, or at least was in the old days. That's another story. He, he recognized it right away against the wishes of all of his administration and everyone in, in power said, this is going to be bad. It'll, inf it, you know, interfere with our relationship with the Arabs. Uh, we don't want that. Yeah, we want the cheap oil. We don't, yeah, that's we don't right. It would, it would be this. better and easier for us not to recognize Israel. We can deal with them, but we don't recognize them necessarily as a, as a, as a country. Um, <clears throat> and Truman says, nope, the right thing to do is to recognize them. So sure enough, uh, you know, of course, that was far more of an issue than recognizing Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. You know, it's just, it's just recognizing the facts on the ground. Uh, back then, this is establishing and recognizing a whole country and its very existence. So, so nobody complained about that. And in fact, even uh, many of my fellow liberal Jews, not, I'm not liberal, my fellow Jews who are liberal, um, you know, don't deny that it was a wonderful decision for Truman to recognize Israel. But I think if they, if they were to go back in time, if you put their exact same mindset Back in the year 1948, when the issue of Israel is to be decided, and, and then they worry about the, all the backlash that the Arab street might have if you recognize Israel as a country, well, they would, they would be on board with that. They would be on board with saying, let's not recognize Israel because we don't want any violence. This is, this is tantrum politics, isn't it? And that's why we call this, this, uh, this episode tantrum politics, because it's, it's all about that, right? I mean, 
they will have a tantrum. So let's not do what might cause them to have a tantrum. <clears throat> that, that's exactly the, the policy. Let's not do the right thing ever <coughs> so that we can preempt the chance right. of people we don't like possibly having tantrums. Right. That's exactly, exactly you know the reasoning behind it. Let's give our kids chocolate <laughs> when they wake up. So right. they don't have a tantrum over told they won't get chocolate right. later. You're, you're totally a prisoner of fear when that happens, <laughs> right. right? I mean, as a parent, it, let's say, you, you would be yes. terrified every single moment. Okay, is Johnny going to cry now? Okay, what can we do to make sure Johnny... What do you want, Johnny? Oh, okay, here you go. I mean, you, you make him like this... You make him worse than a North Korean dictator. You know, what, what, was, what will the great uh, Kim Jong-un uh, decide for today? Is he smiling today? Is he happy today? Right? Let's... Let's make sure that he's happy. This is, the, this is not the way to run a foreign policy, my friends. Okay? And it was, I, I don't even believe the State Department believes that. Because everything else that we've dealt with in the past has not been based upon fear of the response. And when we, whenever we countered the fear of the response, in, in other words, we ignored the fear of the response, the Arab Street example, uh, we always did well. We ignored it. So, for example, during Hitler's time, the Nazi Germany and such, did we say, oh, well, let's, uh, let's not go to war with them because we might agitate uh, Hitler? Der Fuhrer? No. We, we, we said we got to beat this mother effer, right? Yeah, and matter of fact, isn't that what uh, Chamberlain did, which provoked Hitler's aggression? I hate it when you give me on-point examples. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It's the, exactly. So the exact opposite is true. <clears throat> yeah. You invite aggression right. when you engage in tantrum politics. They, 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 they just, you embolden you, them and you empower them for, for the means of which they can demand more from you later on. If we, if they, and that's what the Arabs were doing all the, all the time with the existence of Israel, the refusal to engage in peace with Israel, Yes, that's true. And the, uh, um, the whole recognition of Jerusalem as a capital, if you do this, bad things will happen. Yeah, the right of return politics, the, right. all of the politics on the Temple Mount. I mean, and, you know, the United States is not alone in this. Remember, you know, we, we've talked about how France and modern Germany engage this all the time, but Israel engages this all the time, and we're getting a little far <laughs> off a field on the subject matter, and it's probably a completely different podcast episode, but the, the way Israel governs the Temple Mount is tantrum politics. Of course. I mean, no, they're, no. they're afraid of in, insulting the Arabs, so they're going to have their status quo. And the status quo was the same language constantly used by the State Department and you know, many actors across the world. Well, the Pope, the Pope is in included. Uh, yeah, the Pope. used to, vis-a-vis the status of Jerusalem. Right. So he wants you know, the status well, quo. Then, yeah. He wants the status quo. And, and your point is not off topic. It's really right on politics. It's about uh, the topic. Uh, tantra politics is a very big issue, uh, even to a lesser extent uh, for the Israelis. I mean, they, they understand this game. But once you, let, let's say, God forbid, that Trump... A week from now says, you know what, upon second thought, I think that it's not a wise approach to um, make Jerusalem or recognize Jerusalem as the capital. We will go back to where we were. Okay, what do you think that will do? Another riot. Right, it'll be another riot. <laughs> well, no, but it'll teach the, the Arabs that violence uh, works and that they'll just go to the next level. It just, it doesn't stop. It, it, it does not satisfy them. It doesn't say, okay, I'll be a good boy from now on. What, what's in it in your head that makes you think from history or human nature in any respect whatsoever that caving in to somebody 
to their very illogical position is somehow a good thing. Then putting aside the, the humiliation for Israel, our, our strongest ally in the world, putting aside the humiliation that Israel suffers uh, literally every day that no embassy, with the exception of Russia, by the way, uh, has moved to uh, Jerusalem because it doesn't want to recognize it because for fear of, of uh, the Arab street and such like that. <laughs> Think about the humiliation. Our capital is Jerusalem, and you won't put an embassy there. It's it's a, it's a it's a spit in your face sort of thing. Well, also think about how important it is, and we've talked about this in many other episodes of po- this podcast. And you'll you'll immediately see how funny this is. How what kind of temper tantrums in, ensue when you refuse to go along with how people self-identify themselves? Hint hint. I don't understand. Okay, what if a uh, person decides they're transgender? Ah, I see. And you, God forbid, say, no, you're not. You're a man. Right. Or you're a woman. Right. It becomes a huge scandal, right? Right. So how is Israel not allowed to self-identify their own capital? Right. It's oh, their territory. It's a, it's a Aren't good... they allowed to say, okay. this is where we... I get it. I get it. And I like that comparison because that's exactly what it is. But <laughs> don't you see the difference? All right. I, the difference yeah. is very obvious. The difference is transgenders are cool and Israel is not. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that was Thank my you. point. <laughs> Blow up that analogy. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so tantrum politics is what's governing this whole thing. And interestingly, uh, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, cow to the tantrum politics when it came to Hitler, like we just talked about. We didn't uh, cow when the Soviet Union was indeed an, an evil empire. And remember how Ronald Reagan called it an evil empire. And everyone was so shocked and so worried that this would, would cause a nuclear war because Ronald Reagan <coughs> called the Soviet Union what they were, evil. Yeah, in other words, when we stopped <coughs> cowing to the tantrum politics of Nazi Germany, we won the war. When we stopped cowing to the politics of tantrum politics with the Soviet Union and had Reagan call them an evil empire, six years later, they're gone. That's exactly If we right. would not cow to the tantrum politics of North Korea, the North Koreans would be free and Korea would be unified. That's right. If we, if we didn't uh, cow to the tantrum politics of the Democrats in the Vietnam era, we would have won the Vietnam, Vietnamese war. Right. Well, it's, it's, wiped out communism in Southeast Asia. It's always this notion of delaying the pain, right? It's um, you don't want to go to the the, doc, the the dentist to do the root canal because you know what? Uh, you you found a way to kind of uh, ease the pain by putting numbing uh, liquid on on that particular area of your mouth, and uh, you'll be okay. It gets worse and worse. Never mind about that. But you don't want to deal with the actual pain of a root canal, which is very painful. Um, especially when there was no anesthesia back back in the day, but you got to do it. You got to you got to deal with the problem. And the problem here, uh, the Jerusalem issue, was recognizing that the Arab Street will be all a Twitter about it and very upset for a few days. Yeah, they'll they'll proclaim it, uh, but the, it's it's all political, of course. Uh, Abbas uh, actually announced three days of rage. Uh, I guess we should be thankful it wasn't four days of rage, but whatever. <laughs> And so what's going to happen after the three days of rage, by the way? I'm, I'm kind of curious. Okay, well, guys, we're done with that. Uh, back to peace and uh, normal life. And yeah, uh, we, we said our peace, and uh, thanks. Right, back to the cafes. <laughs> Everyone, back Let's, to your homeless uh, you know, yeah, uh, stands. Back to your sidewalk cafes where you can drink tea and talk about how evil the Jews are. Right, again. there you go. Yeah. It, you know, of course, what, what do you think is going to happen? It's just kabuki theater. <clears throat> it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's silly. Look, at, and a point that, that we both raised before this podcast is what, what – 
what's the difference? I mean, these guys are always unhappy. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you inflame the Arab street, yeah. which is already a flame? That's right. I, I don't know how you make people who are already angry angrier. Right. Because angry is a binary state. You're either angry or you're not. Right. That's right. <laughs> so, know? I mean, they, they are uh, they're perpetually angry. They're always doing things. So how much worse can it get? I mean, before we recognized Jerusalem as the capital, uh, Hamas and Hezbollah and, and, um, all the, and the Fatah, they were doing crazy things to Israel. They were tunneling underneath Israel, kidnapping our children, uh, doing horrific things to our prisoners, um, to, to our soldiers. What else can there be done? I mean, you guys are never pleasant, meaning the, these, the, the, um, the Palestinian protesters. You never give in to peace. This is, it would be foolish for us to think that somehow this will keep you um, uh, pacified, that to, to not recognize Jerusalem. We, we didn't recognize Jerusalem for 70 years, and you still go to war with us all the time. You know what? F this. You know, at the, at the end of the day, we want to show Israel and we want to show you guys that we stand with Israel and, and we love Israel for it. Uh, Jerusalem is the eternal capital of, of the world, of, um, of Israel. What's so funny about this is that they, and, and no one's making this comparison, and I'm going to make it right here for the first time on this podcast. Everyone makes a much ado of Trump recognizing Jerusalem as the capital and all the concerns and all the impact and all the consequences associated with this. But when it came to Obama deciding to unilaterally recognize Cuba as a nation, notwithstanding that it's a communist dictatorship and it has done nothing to improve its ways, everyone was jiggy with that. Certainly the Democrats were. Saying, well, this, this will be wonderful. Isn't this great? Well, when you say that, you mean, when you say everyone, you mean everyone in Democrat media, yes. mainstream cultural life in America. Right, which is mainstream media, yeah. mainstream uh, politics, as it were. They were okay with that. Ne- never mind that Cuba, of course, is still, of course, <laughs> just as much of a dictatorship as it ever was. Right. If anything, it's more emboldened now because it's getting recognition that it shouldn't get. That's the funny thing. Right, so it's it's interesting to juxtapose those two events, isn't it? And and they're not that far off in time. Uh, I believe that Obama did uh, his recognition of Cuba with the embassy exchange and everything else in the last year of his presidency, right? So and here we are in the first year of Trump's presidency recognizing Jerusalem uh, as the capital of Israel. Yeah, look at the courage versus the cowardness. Yes, of it, the that's, political courage versus the political yeah, cowardness. That's right. The willing to play the political price for all the rest of his presidency versus a guy who did it as he's running out the door. Right. Oh, I did that. Bye. Right. I'm, I'm out of here. Well, it reminds me of the Talmudic uh, expression, a phrase, the proverb, I guess. When you are kind to the cruel, you will be cruel to the kind. So Obama was being kind to the cruel. By recognizing and, and doing trade, and this will be a great opportunity. Yeah, well, giving evil people money. Basically, right. that's what it is. Right. People who are, are evil and run their, their country irresponsibly, and they're on the verge of financial and social collapse. And here's Obama to sweep in with recognition and all the money that goes with it to prop up evil dictators for another 20 years so the people under them could suffer and right. the people around the world can suffer from the mayhem, these you know these uh, international... Uh, you know, rascals engage in. Right. It's sickening because what, what really is happening, the thing that operates, that did operate Obama and did operate and still operates much of the Democratic Party is fear. Uh, 
And, and this, this story about the, the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel is really a more of a launching pad to discuss fear as, a, um, as an operating mechanism for foreign policy, right? We, that's what we're seeing and what we have seen vis-a-vis -vis Israel and, the, and the, um, the recognition of Jerusalem. That's what we're seeing when it comes to North Korea. That's what we're seeing when it comes to dealing with Iran. That's what we're seeing when dealing with um, uh, ISIS, when we dealt with ISIS in the old days. Um, and that's what we saw in dealing with mo much of the Arab world, generally speaking. Fear. We did not want to rock the boat. It was easier just simply to numb the area with a little bit of uh, liquid Novocaine and deal and, and not have to worry about the root canal, which was getting worse and worse. Yeah, and isn't it interesting day. by trying to knock the, or to not rock the boat is the best way to rock the boat worse than ever? Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. so perfect. Yeah. And, and also, I can't escape the comparison in, in all of those things with how uh, the same liberal academic elitists run college campuses. Yeah. Rather than lay down the law on the protesters, the rioters, the liberal censorship cabals, and call in the police and drag them the hell out of there yep. and show the next group of, of jerks who cause trouble at the next conservative speech, this is what's going to happen to you. Six right. months in jail, a nice beating on your way out the door, handcuffing, you know, locked up in a steamy hot paddy wagon for hours, no water, you know, enjoy the discomfort. That'll, right. That would teach them, don't do that next time. Right. But instead, they're taught to deal with kid gloves. And in the case of uh, one of the recent ones, Lucian Wintrich, the conservative speaker was arrested. All right. it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, but it's the same principle. Yeah. Tantra politics. Yeah. It's, it's such a perfect name for this. And, and it's, it's universal, whether it's your kids, a kid in school, the college campus, the international relations situation. Every time you get you know, cowardly liberals dealing with evil people, they behave this way. Right. And evil, for some magical reason, only grows when it's appeased. How about that? Yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, it really does fascinate me because it's so easy to talk to even the intellectual uh, liberals <clears throat> who, who at least think of themselves as intellectual. I was asked by a couple people because I'm, you know, somewhat known in these circles and political circles. What did I think by, by liberal friends? What did I think about the Jerusalem thing? They, it, to their credit, they didn't ask in a contentious way. But what did I think about it? And I said it was the right thing to do. It was, uh, and, and for all the things we've already explained, um, and we can't operate this way, and, and it hasn't been this way whenever we were dealt with in the past. Uh, <clears throat> and what would, would happen <clears throat> if we had the same tantra politics mantra during the time of recognizing Israel as a whole nation, uh, let alone Jerusalem as the capital? And it's, it's clear when I responded, and even one of them said, I never thought about that. And I'll tell you why you never thought about that. Because you have been so busy, first of all, erasing history, and erasing history so much that you have come to believe that the only thing that exists is the present, right? So you have to relearn the lessons of history over and over again, right? Because you, you we, we talked about this, what is it, the bubble, right? The time bubble where they, they, they can't see, you know, beyond two seconds in the past, and they, they can't imagine two seconds in the future, it's only right here and right now. So when, when they're told, oh, well, watch out for the Arab street. Bad things will happen. You know, why would you want to do something that would inflame people and get the Arabs all angry and the Palestinians all angry? 
and endanger people. That would not be a good idea. Why rock this boat? Right. So it seems sensible if you don't have any experience whatsoever in history, if you have no knowledge of what, what actually, how this actually applied in the past, yeah, then it would be sensible. But it's clear that they have not thought about the fact that there's history to all of this. All of it. And so, and we've always lost when we engaged in fear, in the politics of fear, right? We, 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 we lose every single time. And that was true in World War II, a, a war that was completely avoidable, completely, had we just understood what evil was. That's all we need to do. Understood that this man, uh, Hitler, was a horrible man, not to appease him. And we had so many different, what's the word for it, Ex exit ramps from the destruction that Hitler inevitably led us through. We could have easily pushed him off this exit ramp, that exit ramp, and so forth. And we would never have World War II. You know, so when people say, by the way, when people yeah. say World War I led to World War II because of the conditions, economic and such, that's, that's bull crap. It is. The fact is, what happened, the reason why we went into World War II and why it was the most destructive war in history and why it uh, killed more hundreds of millions of people than any other war preceding it, including the Great War, World War I, was precisely because of tantrum politics. You don't want to get them angry. That was the theory. Yeah, what people ignore in the World War I to World War II relationship is that let's assume World War I did not happen. Leftism was still on the rise. Right. And leftism destroys. I think you <clears throat> wrote a book about how some of those ideas lead to uh, killing eventually, no right. matter what, every time. Yeah. So whether leftist ideas that created the conditions of World War I happened in World War I or not, World War II was, again, a cyclical rise of leftist conditions that led to a, another world war. You got it. It would have just had a different name That's had right. World War I not happened at That's that right. point. But the same leftist political leaders in America, in the case of World War I, Woodrow Wilson, had the same attitude towards Europe that FDR did during World War II. Yeah, the rise of World War II, That's and exactly right. and isn't this interesting about how you just said about that time bubble liberals live live in? When you have a powerful well of intellectual capacity to draw upon, it soothes your emotional waves, the the you know churning of one emotion to the next, and you don't completely control your emotions, but you temper them with intellect, and you'll have a moment. Well, I'm really angry at that person, but wait a minute, did such and such happen? Oh, yeah, maybe it is partially my fault, you know, and then you don't rush headlong and set the guy's house on fire, right? Right. Isn't it interesting that over the last 20, 25 years, the rise of the feelings culture, where people don't say things like, you know what I think? They instead say, you know what I feel? Right. And when you draw only on your feelings, untempered by intellect or your, your, um, you lose track of time because feelings aren't rational. And once right. you lose track of time and operate in your feelings bubble, voila, right. you are in that time warp bubble that you know you just described. Right. And you become incapable of seeing, discerning past history from future results, and yeah. you have to learn everything over again because the, the feeling person has no intellectual capacity at all. They become blinded by their love or rage or infatuation or something. Right. And, and, and they're blinded by fear. Right. And what they ignore, which history teaches, is no one is in more fear than the evil or the criminal. 
Right. They have a rush of fear. Oh, my God, what if I'm caught? Oh, my God, what if they stand up to me? Oh, my God, what if, you know, God forbid there's cosmic retribution in the afterlife, right? That's so true. You know, it, it, this dovetails so beautifully. In a, so I might as well move on to the next topic, which is um, how they how people so rarely want to learn from anything um, and the, the desire not to learn from anything. What do I mean by that? It, it's pretty precisely what you were just kind of, so that's why the dovetail is so great. Um, you know, they don't want to learn from anything because the feelings is far more powerful for them than anything else. So here's an example. The, at least you can say, and I, I will give credit here, at least during the 60s, when they decided that you don't need to shower anymore and you don't need to take care of yourself hygiene-wise, you know, they, they learned, you know, that might have been a mistake, right? Because they, <laughs> they, they suddenly, <laughs> suddenly they were getting all sorts of diseases and stuff like that. But I think the real reason why, at the end of the day, is because it had an immediate impact. They smelled, okay? They really, really smelled, both from a breath point of view and from a body odor point of view. So it, it was a reality that they had to confront immediately, you don't shower. You don't take care of your your your, your teeth. This is you're going to have an impact upon other people. So, with all due respect to your notion that <clears throat> everything should be natural, f you. Take a friggin' shower. Okay, that's it. Here's a bar of soap. Would you mind? All right. Um, and then, yeah, but, but free sex, free love is useless ah, but, without showering. That's right. <laughs> well, that's another story. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that that is that thing that they did conquer in a sense, because it was so in your face. But here's something that was also from the 60s that did not change, that they did not learn from. The, during the free love, right, which was really just free sex, uh, the free sex movement, as it were, they, you know, everyone could have sex with everybody else. Uh, the notion of premarital sex was somehow very open, all of a sudden very appreciated. The notion that you, you shouldn't have sex until you get married, well, that is so ancient and so stupid. Uh, the, the notion that sex was supposed to be something that was intimate, that, that created a bond between a husband and a wife that was unique in every sim, sim, single way, that, uh, that was so old-timey. But then, of course, you know, a lot of diseases happened, a lot of them, okay? Not just herpes, uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea, and various other STDs, uh, but they, it, it just it happened really rampantly. But it wasn't in your face in the same way as the body odor was, right? So like, like you just said, it's all about feelings and the power. The urge for sex is so powerful uh, and, and it seems so natural, then they just kept on going, going with it. And to, even to this day, there's this, you know, sleep with whoever you want sort of culture. It, they don't even talk it. They don't even call it free love anymore. It's just, it's normal. Uh, if, if you and I were in our early 20s and in college, let's say, uh, we could, if we, if we so desired, have, you know, sex with uh, six different women uh, every week, if not more. It, it wouldn't be hard, but it would be uh, very dangerous for us. It would be empty, but we could be doing that. And that is the norm over there. They, they, they hook up. It's the hookup culture, right? And then if they want to get to know each other, they might have some coffee after, right? It's, it's very bizarre. So... It's this kind of why not culture when it comes to sex. Like, hey, it feels good. I, I like having an orgasm, don't you? Okay, great. Let's, let's have at it with each other, have some fun, and then uh, what's the big deal? They, they really think that that's exactly the way they think. 
in so many of these, uh, uh, these situations in college. Then, of course, the only thing that's tempering it is the sexual harassment culture now, where if a woman feels she regrets having the, the sex the next morning, well, then she can accuse that man of, uh, of, of raping her, and then suddenly uh, it's terrifying. But talk about the politics of fear, right? That's what's happening now. So back to your main point, which is, and our main point, feelings is operating everything. There is no logic to it. And so nothing will change. And the same thing is true with the Jerusalem recognition, because it's all about the feelings. We want to honor the feelings of the Palestinians. Never mind what's right, what's intellectually uh, a powerful argument, what intellectually makes common sense. Uh, what matters at the end of the day is the feelings. Feelings are, re are reality for the left. Feelings are reality for anybody on the, in the Democratic, Democratic Party these days. And that's, I think that explains a lot of it, right? Am I missing something? No. Yeah. You've, 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 you've nailed it. Yeah. And to think that feelings are such an important thing to these people, something so fleeting, something so intangible, something that really just doesn't matter. I mean, when you think, I can't speak entirely for you, but I can impute based on my knowledge of you over the years, that you probably share some of my great desires in life um, to see from, from a worldwide perspective. I want to see human beings conquer space. I want to see people conquer the light speed barrier. I want to see the vast majority of people be enlightened to the grace of God. Because there's, there'll be a greater chance that they will treat each other and all things better. Right. I want to see Israel establish complete hegemony over its territory and over the Temple Mount. And I'd love to see the temple rebuilt and, and honored and consecrated in a way appropriate for the holiness that place has. Okay. Th those are my great desires. I, and, and if those things happen, I feel strongly and I believe intellectually that the great majority of tyrannical nations will fall and be replaced by mostly uh, civilized uh, uh, democracies. Th those are the things I want. And I don't really care about how I feel day to day if those things happen. Right. I'd prefer to live a life free of pain, disease, uh, worry, etc. But those things are... Uh, kind of what they call baked into the cake, where they go with the territory of being alive. If you've chosen to have children, you are going to worry about them. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's part of yep. the, the deal, right? right? If you choose to have a fine automobile, you're going to worry about it getting scratched right. or worry about its oil changes. It's, it's that whole thing, you, you know, you're, you're, in some ways your stuff owns you, right? And right. there's no getting away from it if you want nice things and nice a nice life and mm -hmm. such. And inevitably, life is filled with loss. It's just, this is what we as conservatives can see looking ahead. I know one day, everyone I know and love, except for my children, are going to die before me or with me, you know, at, at some point when our lives run out. And I know it will be painful. Right. I know my mother and father will get older, and it'll be very sad for me to see them go the way my grandparents went. I know my children will have to see me get old someday. Right. This, is, this is inevitable. And 
I'm not going to hide behind temporary feelings to avoid the intellectual knowledge of this. But while I'm here, I'm going to pursue every action I can take in my little sector of the world to make those great changes to the way human beings live so that the next generations can avoid the pain of previous generations or the current generation. That's what I think about, and I believe you think a lot of those things too. And it's, I believe, one of the reasons among many that you wrote that book. That, that touches on some of those issues. But these are if, things... Atheism Kills It, now available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Tell them the price. Tell them the price. $32 for the hardcover, $16 That's all you for tell the them. paperback. Just, just the hardcover. <laughs> Buy the hardcover. <laughs> Although available on Kindle and softcover, too. Um, uh, but the point is, uh, we want these things because we're governed by our intellects. Not our emotions. If we were governed by our emotions, think about how scary those things are, facing all those things. We would shut down, either become alcoholics or drug addicts, have as much uncompromised, uh, uh, um, let's just say, uh, unburdened sex as we can without any commitment or responsibility, and just live each day trying to get to that moment where I pass out and wake up tomorrow if tomorrow ever comes. Right. Get as much sex as you yeah. can, get as, get as many toys as you can, and eat as much as you right. can. Right, and that's why liberals make decisions on the on the global stage that are so foolhardy and short-sighted. Yeah. Because they're terrified of facing the reality, even if the reality leads to great things. Ronald Reagan's a perfect example of it. Right, Ronald Reagan believed tomorrow will inevitably be better than today because we're blessed by God if we just do the right thing. Right. And he did the right thing, and liberals held, oh, don't call them evil, don't call them evil, they'll use their nukes, ah! And guess what? They're gone now. Right. Brilliant. Exactly. And all we have to do is do the same thing, and all will be well. Well, it's very much like the, um, you know, when you have anyone who has kids understands that the first thing that they would like to have, uh, eating-wise, is popcorn and licorice and lollipops and so forth, Right. That's their go-to food. If they, if you wanted to, if you ask them, what would you like to eat right now? Candy. Candy, right? Popcorn in particular, because I, I don't know why popcorn. So, but it's, but the, the the food is empty calories. It's bad for you for so many different reasons. And you know, as an adult, you know, no one ever, no no kid I know has ever craved for uh, a fine risotto with sautéed broccoli and carrots and mushrooms uh, with a, a, a dash of turmeric. You know, to, to avoid inflammation. Of course, it just doesn't compute, right? But that's the way it is with the Democratic Party. They operate, just like you said, upon feelings, and those feelings are very apparent right now, and it gives them immediate satisfaction. The they empty deal with it. calories and sugar rush that's, of feelings. That's what it is. And so, but it's also what they can see, what they can get right away. Uh, popcorn is easy to get. Right. Um, Obama licorice. gave me a phone. I, yeah. You know, I, yeah, Obama a, paid my gas. Obama right. paid my mortgage. Right. right. They have no sense of what the right thing to do is in the long run. Right. Any parent will tell you that you do want to have sustaining, good, healthy vegetables and and risotto, whatever. I, I like risotto, so there it is. But you, you get the idea. You've got to have nourishing food at the end of the day, and it takes a while for people to understand that. It doesn't taste as immediately appealing as it would the licorice or the popcorn. And that that's, explains everything that we see because it's just immediately what they have for the moment is that feelings-based uh, decision. Yeah, make Kim Jong-un stop threatening us. Let's stop the Arab street from rioting. Let's right. give them what they want. Let's give them what they want. They'll be so happy. Right. 
you know. And and, and, and coming back up to the Jerusalem thing, if we know your history, remember when Clinton offered half of Jerusalem to the Palestinians and they said no right. and then attacked right. because the offer wasn't good enough? No, they, they offered them not only half of Jerusalem, but but 100% of what of they every, wanted yeah. uh, in every other respect. Yeah, so, the only thing they didn't offer them was complete right of return for every refugee, Arab, and descendants. But, but the, the point is, if we're talking about only Jerusalem here as far as what happened historically this week. So right. let's just focus that Jerusalem was offered. Right. Oh, and instead was. of taking it or not taking it, they decided to not take it and declare war. Right. They must have not wanted it that badly. I, I no, they, they want a perpetual state of war. That's right. Uh, contrary to uh, some some liberals that I that I hear who, who who proclaim that Israel is the one who wants the perpetual state of war. Somehow that that status quo is good for Israel. I I, I, I when I hear that I want to strangle that person. We actually had a guest speaker uh, at the Jewish National Fund breakfast recently who said more or less exactly that, and he was a liberal from Israel. You know, but from Haaretz, ha which is a very Israeli, uh, very uh, liberal. I mean, you think New York Times is, is liberal. Yeah, leftist. Yeah. Uh, this is leftist. So this guy gets, gets up, and he not only proclaims that there's no media bias against Israel, which is so far-fetched. I, I, like, only a guy engaging in the industry right. of media bias there against Israel doesn't would say, say that. that. Yeah. So not only does he say that, but he also says what I just <laughs> mentioned, which is that, that Israel somehow likes the status quo of being a perpetual war. Oh, I, I get it. Right. Yeah. The, the, the mothers and the fathers and who send their children off to war, just they're so happy to risk their uh, you know, limbs and, and their lives uh, and the possibility of going blind and, and the post-traumatic stress syndrome, if you're lucky to, to otherwise not be injured. Um, telling it to me, who had a father who went to war two times while I was a child, uh, back to Israel to fight for Israel. And and he fought in the independence war before I was born. You're telling that to me that somehow we like that? No, no, sir. And that that's that's outrageous, right? But in in reality, it is true. That one thing is true about the Palestinians. It is true about dictatorships generally. They need a perpetual, perpetual state of war. Yeah, the status quo of perpetual war is the best thing for a dictatorship. It's the best. Yeah, no, because it, <laughs> no, no, it, it terrifies their people into any other way. Right, and, and it also lets them know this is the reason why your lives suck. Uh, That's because, right. Because these bad guys uh, in South Korea, for example, these bad guys in America. These bad guys these in bad, Taiwan. These, these bad guys in Colombia. These bad guys in Costa Rica are right. constantly making your life miserable right. in, uh, in, uh, uh, in um Nicaragua, right. in Cuba, and, and, and Israel is the best ex best scapegoat yeah. example because it's scapegoated by numerous countries. You know, your lives would be so ever so great if only Israel didn't exist on the map. Uh, you know, and the Palestinian problem would be resolved. So it's it's crazy. I, well, let me ask you a question because mm -hmm. I, you know I always think God works in mysterious ways. With Obama doing the Iran deal, it seems to have really shifted politics in Saudi Arabia in a good direction right. recently. <laughs> How much do you think? Um, the politics of Saudi Arabia, which seems to be going much better in a lot of ways. I mean, it's never going to be perfect in, in the next 30, 40, 50 years, but much better. Uh, enabled Trump to make this decision um, in an easier way than if you had a, a different situation. Oh, it's a, great, it's a great question because one... Yeah, no, thank you for the question. Uh, the answer is it was a bit easier. The... 
that the ground was more fertile, so to speak, to plant that seed because he knew the following countries would not give him lip. A, Egypt with Al-Sisi. Uh, B, uh, Saudi Arabia, as you mentioned just now, uh, because of the Iran Iranian situation. Uh, and and see Jordan for that matter. Well, Jordan will complain, but only uh, as window dressing, right? For their people, it, it, it has to yeah. it has to pay lip service to its rejection of Jerusalem, but but wink, wink, nudge, nudge, do whatever you damn right. well please. And also, Syria as a nation state basically doesn't exist anymore, and Iraq is incapable of saying a word of protest because they have their own problems with ISIS. Well, not only that, so, but they're they're they become a de facto democracy. And democracies don't uh, don't fight other democracies. Yeah. So I mean, they, you know, they, they only it's like France, France and England, right? They they can joke about each other and uh, you know proclaim how stupid the English are, and English can proclaim how stupid the French are, but they're they're best of friends. They're besties. They're both democracies. Um, but anyway, having said that, um, I, I do think it was a little bit easier. But I don't think that's the reason why Trump went ahead and chose now as a date. Um, I think he did it because it was a campaign promise and he wanted to live by it. Now, let's look at, let's evaluate, by the way, the, those campaign promises. And then I want to get back to, to the feelings culture that we talked about. Um, you know, Trump says he's going to uh, declare Jerusalem the capital. Promise delivered, right? He says he's going to start building the wall. He's promise delivered. And now they seem to be doing what I want, which is calling it Kate's Wall. Very, Oh, I like that. I didn't know that. Very classy, very right, classy. Right. Uh, Trump promises he's going to open up the Keystone Pipeline and, and the XL Pipeline. And promise delivered. Anwar. And Anwar. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's yeah. Right. Whoa. So, promise delivered. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cut taxes. Cut, cut taxes. Delivered. It's going to happen. Um, and then there was one more that I wanted to say. Don't Gorsuch. Uh, oh yes, thank you. He's going to focus on uh, a very conservative Supreme Court promise delivered. And there's one more that happened yesterday. The Justice Department opened a criminal investigation into the Planned Parenthood baby part sale. Right. Huge yes. news. Yes. Huge. Right. Also, there's the, the Justice Department is now, uh, we don't know quite exactly what, but you can, you can figure this out. Okay, you, you tell me, just from these facts, there was a search warrant that was issued and uh, actually, um, what do you call it? Executed. Uh, upon the IRS office in a place called Cleveland, Ohio. And they won't discuss quite was yet. Was it Cleveland or Cincinnati? Cincinnati, I'm sorry. Cincinnati, Cincinnati is yeah. the lowest learner right. branch office. So I just, I wonder what they're going after. Where are they going what, after? Why, I just some done. papers, business papers. Yeah, you know, it's something, uh, something that Mary we don't know Big about. Mary Big Lebowski, yeah. got in there, my papers, my papers, my business papers. What do you use for? I'm unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. So, uh, but now, so now going back to all these things, um, you know, a great, Things seem to be happening. I mean, he's delivering on his promises. Dennis Prager brought this up in a, in a podcast recently where they proclaimed that Trump had lied about something. I forget what it was. It was so, like, insignificant. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. It was the, the crowd size at the inaugural. Right. And they just went to town on him. But, but, but when, a, when a, a, a candidate for president or otherwise promises so many things before he becomes president or senator or whatever, right? And they never deliver on it, right? Everyone's promised, for example, Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. Right. Uh, not Obama, by the way, but nevertheless, yeah, Clinton did and so on like that. And they never deliver on it. Well, isn't that a lie? And isn't that lie a little bit bigger 
In fact, a hell of a lot bigger than whether or not Trump got it right on the, tr the crowd size of his inaugural. By the way, nobody knows. But nevertheless, I mean, let's say he, he purposefully lied about the crowd size. Who gives a crap? So what? So what? Right? But, but it I does matter when you don't deliver on a promise. You get the votes of millions of American people based on, uh, upon your promise that you're going to uh, move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in Israel, and then you don't deliver it, I call that a bald-faced lie. Yeah. What about... Um, nobody, rel nobody relied on, on Trump's statement that his inauguration crowd is bigger. Right. People did rely upon promises from, from uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, including George H. W., uh, sorry, w. Bush, and then uh, Clinton and such, uh, that there would be a move to Jerusalem. Well, they passed the law in 1995 when Clinton was president. Yes. So Clinton, Bush... To Bush the second and Obama all promised this right and all lied right okay Trump actually doesn't just say it does it right and remember every one of Trump's and, and then we're supposed to be upset with Trump right That's and every thing. one of, of Trump's um, insignificant lies or significant lies always turned out to be true remember um, uh, I was wiretapped yep he's That's lying the first one your own reports New York Times said he was right. The crowd size thing turned out he was right. The crowds were big. Right. And then most of all, aren't we gonna shouldn't we focus on the little promise about um, doctors and plans or shovel ready jobs right. or um, Benghazi <laughs> yeah. or uh, Al Qaeda being dead and GM being alive? Or that manufacturing will never come back to America because or, this is the new normal. Five of Obama's gigantic lies. Or, or the Iran deal would be the most fantastic deal ever. I, You'll I, just love it. I was saving that to be <laughs> over here in the gigantic lies yeah. area because the Iran deal and the not a smidgen of corruption vis-a-vis -vis the IRS to me are the biggest of Obama's lies. Of course, of course. So the, the point is you have this rare thing where you have a politician, an elected official – who's so non-politician, so non-establishment, that he gets elected, and no matter what kind of squealing there was in the State Department, he still went ahead and did this. And I have a feeling, as far as the timing goes, based on the news we got yesterday about the Planned Parenthood investigation, that tells me a lot of Trump's appointees are finally taking office and doing things in the agencies. Yeah. Hence, the Planned Parenthood investigation was finally launched. I think the reason the delays until the other day for the Jerusalem announcement and embassy announce, move announcement had to do with staffing within the, just, within the State Department. Could be. And they finally have enough staffers there who aren't going to block the paperwork. Right. Okay. So let's but let's move on. And, and to some extent, I want to move back to our main theme, this part of the theme, which is about the feelings culture. That everything about it is, if if you only feel and you don't think, you're doomed to make very bad policy. Right. I mean, yeah. Again, you think. You think. Right. <laughs> right. So if if you asked uh, Charlie whether he feels like going to school today. Well, then he, Charlie ain't going to school that day. Of course day, not. Right? All right. If you ask Charlie whether he feels like going to swim team practice, I don't feel like it. All right. Well, it's, it, it just ain't going to happen. But these are bad. It would be a bad thing if Charlie didn't go to uh, his swim team practice, if Charlie decided to uh, not go to school, if Charlie decided uh, that he didn't want to have his broccoli and his vegetables and never have it ever again and only have popcorn and, and lollipops, it would be a bad thing if he decided that he needed to stay up for as long as he wanted 
Because that's what he feels. You or know, when I, he grows up, what if Charlie doesn't feel like paying the mortgage? Right. What if Charlie doesn't feel like <laughs> sending in the car payment? You right. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> What's right. going to happen here? Well, the government will bail him out. That's the that's the whole thing. Oh, I yeah, forgot so, about so that. So fe- feelings are important. Well, provided the the he's of the right ethnic uh, right. background and sexual orientation, I suppose. <laughs> well, look, ir- irresponsibility is the order of the day. And irresponsibility comes from only focusing on your feelings. If you, if you are going to have a foreign policy, or for that matter, a domestic policy that is, is centered on feelings, disastrous things will arise. And uh, that's what happened with World War II. It, the, the one thing I love about World War II, as, as horrific a, a war as it was, it is, it is such a great provider of historical lessons, in every respect, the, the, the existence of the war, the, the, the germination of the war itself is a major uh, history lesson. The way we prosecuted the war and how we decided, and this is a great credit to FDR. You know, I don't think he's a great president, but the one thing he did do very well was to insist, contrary to Stalin and Churchill, that the end of the war had to be by way of unconditional surrender by the Germans and, and the Japanese. That had to be. And I, I just have to admire that. That he truly lived a life of of understanding that fear was our greatest enemy. So hats off to him. But uh, the way we prosecuted it, the the way the evil rose in power, uh, and the consequences after the war, and how we dealt with with the the war after the fact, and such, uh, we handled it in a very nice and a positive way. Um, the hubris lessons that we learned from the war. Um, the notion of sacrifice in the war. Um, Churchill provided tremendous uh, great lessons in history. So World War II, if you have to learn one great event in history, that's the event to learn, right? It, it, it talks about all the things that we're talking about today. But boy, talk about America saying, well, we don't feel like going into this war. It would be very easy for them to have said that. In fact, many people did say that. They were called Democrats. And, and the Democrats and the Progressive Party said, this ain't our problem. But they, it had been the same thing they had said about World War I. They didn't want to have another World War I engagement. But uh, so, let, you know, let Europe burn itself. You know, we can probably have a detente with Hitler at the end of the day. And uh, everything will be good. But detente never works. This uh, kind of understanding that we just won't get in, into each other's faces. Yeah, it worked with the, the Kim family since 1994 when yeah. uh, Clinton essentially engaged in his detente with them. Right. No. Yeah, it's a, it's, no. Yeah, bribery, you know, just to keep on feeding with the lollipop. Yeah, Clinton like had a about. chance in 1994 with a non-nuclearized North Korea to end them forever. Right. But Clinton was very good at never at, at never ending any uh, relationship of uh, America's enemies with their uh, subjects. Well, the last he, want, he wanted was a confrontation. Uh, confrontations are risky. Uh, they end up, uh, they, they could blow in your face. Uh, and we saw that even with the Bin Laden, the Bin Laden uh, killing, where it was so risky at first, and, and only when uh, Obama basically had a 100% chance, or let's say 99% chance, of succeeding in the assassination of Bin Laden, that's when he said, okay, go for it. Because we, now we have complete, 100% accurate information, and we're going to send in these two seal, uh, see, this huge SEAL Team 6, whatever, with two different helicopters, so the backup is there. Everything's going to work out great. And so, sure enough, you know, it's great that Bin Laden was killed, um, but that's, you know, it, it should not have been a such 
a hundred percent certainty. You know what? I'm okay with taking action based upon not knowing whether you'll actually succeed on it. But this is the way of the Obama administration. This was the way of the Clinton administration. Um, it, at least Carter, Carter for with sure. The Iranian hostages. Oh, yeah. that, that stupid oh. half-assed attempt to rescue. Yeah. That was just terrible. The, you know, the how about terrible. release our hostages or we bomb the crap out of your city? Right. In 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> right. Before they had any nuclear ambitions. Right. Uh, just a, and, and they were a young country, and they could just it, you could destroy that revolution right there and yeah. then. And the same principle, and this I think is the biggest thing about this subject matter, it applies from foreign policy down to Trayvon Martin. How yeah. many times did they have the chance to throw the book at Trayvon Martin? How many times did they have the chance to throw the legal book and prosecute and lock up for a good portion of his life Charles Manson? Yeah. How many times did they have the chance to get Big Baby Brown before any of those things happened? Right. Right, right, right. But because of liberals in charge of aspects of the criminal justice system, they don't do it. Oh, Kate Steinle. How many times did they deport that, that jerk who shot her? Oh, it's five, six, seven times? But, but it felt good every time to just deport him and not criminalize him because it would involve too much effort on the part of, of everybody, the whole judicial system. And so there is an example of being kind to the cruel leading to being cruel to the kind. And uh, Keith Stanley, God, God rest her soul, uh, she has to suffer those consequences, the consequences of tantrum politics. That's what we're talking about. And this, this explains everything, doesn't it, Ari, at the end of the day. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you next week. <laughs>